Welcome to the Podium Podcast, where we bring together leaders from the worlds of sports, media and philanthropy to discuss the people and stories that change the world. At Podium Pictures, we make impact. We encourage you to visit PodiumPictures.com to learn more about our mission. Now, here's your host, Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, Brett Rapkin. Coach Bob Bowman is the longtime coach of 23-time Olympic gold medalist Michael Phelps. He's also the current head coach at Arizona State University. Coach Bowman is heavily involved in a number of community-driven swimming initiatives, including his work with the Michael Phelps Foundation and its signature program that provides underserved children with water safety, recreational aquatic activities, and goal-setting programming. A 2010 inductee into the ASCA Hall of Fame, Coach Bowman is a five-time ASCA Coach of the Year and is the most honored coach in the 40-plus years of the award. He is also a longtime coach of the USA Olympic swimming teams. Hope you enjoy this conversation with the legendary swim coach, Bob Bowman. Bob Bowman, welcome to the Podium Podcast. It is truly an honor to have you. Where do we find you today? I'm in Tempe, Arizona, you know, getting ready for our next swim season and, you know, enjoying the beautiful weather. It's amazing right now. You know, I I follow you on Instagram and I I can Mm -hmm. tell how much you seem to be enjoying um, living in the desert and and, and everything that that brings. I lived in, in Tucson myself during during college. We won't talk about Well, the, I'm sorry to hear that, but yeah. you, somehow you made it through. Yeah. No, it, yeah, that, Tucson's a beautiful place. The weather down there is cooler than ours, probably, right? Yeah. And you some know, great I, natural I, beauty. I know uh, Michael said once that he he just had never really swam outdoors before. And for me, I'm a California kid and went to school in Arizona. It was such a, an interesting thing to hear. What's it been like for you, I mean, to, to, to live and to, to work in a place that has as much sunshine as, as Arizona. Well, I've become well acquainted with sunscreen, but other than that, it's been amazing. I think the athletes stay healthier. One of the things that I've enjoyed particularly is just sunshine most of the time. You know, you don't really realize that when you're in Baltimore that it's gray most of the time until you go somewhere where there's sun and just kind of lifts your spirits a little bit and just gives you a little better outlook, I think. Yeah. I mean, certainly one thing we, we want to talk about today is is mental health and and wellness. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you at least a little bit about, you know, your career and, and intersecting with Michael when he was, I believe, 11 years old. I'm sure you've told the story a million times, but I'm sure people listening to this would love to just hear, you know, how you met Michael and just a, a little, you know, in a nutshell, what your journey with him has been like. Yeah. Well, I was working at the North Baltimore Aquatic Club, which is the club where he swam. And I got there in the summer of 1996 and was coaching groups in the club, mainly the older kids. So I, I knew who Michael was because he was this hotshot 10-year-old at that, and saw him swimming some meets. Saw him kind of playing around. the. Our pool was open for members, too. So in the summer, Michael would come and play at the pool all day and then have swim practice, and then they'd pick him up and take him home. So I saw him, you know, kind of playing around with his friends and that kind of thing. And then kind of randomly, we rearranged the groups in the team a year later, and he ended up in my group. So 
it was really fortuitous that, I mean, for me, it was not planned in any way. It just happened. He was one of the kids in my group and it was largely a group of 13, 14 and 15 year olds. And he was in there at 11 because he really couldn't be challenged with the younger kids. He would just get into trouble because he was so much better and he would get bored easily there. So he was in that group and that was our first you know, time we spent together. I knew immediately that he was special as an athlete and I had already you know, known that he had talent and I had seen him swim in some meets, but I knew that he needed really to fix all of his strokes. He wasn't particularly good in technique. He was very good in the, the racing and the energy, but he needed to improve all of his strokes. So that's what we started working on. And uh, over the course of the next two or three years, we started working on that. And then, of course, by the time he was 15, he made his first Olympic team in Sydney, and it sort of just grew from there. And it was sort of a, a wonderful journey for me of starting out as like a teacher to a kid, right? And then he, got, he kept getting older, so did I, right? And we sort of changed to so where at the end of his career, 20 years later, we were more like partners, right? I was his advisor, not so much his teacher. So we've kind of come a long way and, you know, now I'm just grandpa. So it's even been an amazing journey after the swimming. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, you've been much more than a coach. I mean, he talked about, you know, when he was, his parents separated, got divorced when he was young and, and you know, you showed up, showed up on the scene at a time where it seems like he was really looking for a father figure. Has that made it tough at times? Would it have been easier in hindsight if you were just the coach? Yes, it would have made the coaching part, the swimming part much easier. And I really struggled kind of with that boundary <laughs> throughout the process. And I tried to stay more on the coach side than on the father side, because I knew that that was better for his swimming. And that was what he loved to do, right? And that's kind of where we spent most of our time. But, you know, I think it complicated matters because there are times as a coach where you just have to kind of give some unvarnished feedback, right? And you have to kind of take a position and you don't want to be doing that with someone who, you know, you're also going to kind of be comforting or, you know, having dinner with or something like that. So I think that it, it blurred the lines a little bit. So we had to work on that. And I think we successfully navigated it. Are there things I'm sure there are? that you're comfortable talking about that, you know, if you could have, if you could, let me put this a different way. If a kid walked in to your, showed up at your pool today and had the physical ability that you recognized at some point with Michael, what would you do differently with that kid than maybe you did with, with MP as they, they call him? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think in the programming, it would be very similar, right? I think in the way I would deliver it, it would be different. You know, back when I took over with Michael, you know, I was still fairly early on in my career. I had been coaching for a while, but not with people on that level. And so, you know, for me, I, I had a limited toolbox of things to use as a coach. So, you know, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And that's what I did. I hammered everything, you know, do this. I was on top of everything. I micromanaged everything. I was the definition of a control freak, right? And somebody like Michael who has a strong personality and kind of knew where he wanted to go. We, we worked well together because he wanted all the bases covered. But I think if I was going to do it again with somebody else, I would let them be able to kind of have more discovery on their own and be willing to let them fail more and learn the important lessons a little slower. I think they would gain a lot more from that. I think I kind of 
tried to prevent that because we wanted to get as good as he could get as quickly as we could for some reason. But, you know, that's kind of that. I think that would be my biggest patience would be my biggest takeaway from that. Yeah. And when I interviewed, I interviewed him twice for the weight of gold. And I remember the first time was, was in Chicago. He was doing the, the Kennedy forum and, and giving a keynote speech there. It's an excellent mental health organization. And, you know, people love to talk about his physiology and the way his, mm-hmm. his feet are this big and his arms are 15% bigger than this. And, you know, my impression was that he was very, he wanted to acknowledge his success more to his mental than any physical gifts that he has. I mean, is that, do you agree with that? And I mean, if it's hard to do, but how yeah. much of it, as you think back, has been mental and how much was physical? Yeah. Well, there's no doubt that in the mental game, the performance mental game, he is the best, well, certainly the best swimmer, maybe the best athlete ever in that category. But I think what made Michael the greatest ever is he had, you know, there are a number of things that can help you be a good swimmer, right? You can have the physical things. He had all that, right? The long arms and all that stuff. You need to be in an environment where people kind of know what they're doing when they're coaching you, right? So North Baltimore Aquatic Club had already produced world records and gold medals for years. So that was sort of the culture of the program he was in. So you don't know if he had been somewhere else, how that would have turned out. You have to have a family who would support this high-level swimming. It's not easy, right? It's very difficult. And there was a stretch of time where, you know, due to a number of reasons, Michael trained every day for six years leading up to the 2004 Olympic Games, 365. So you have to have a family who's going to say this isn't insane and kind of go with it, right? So we had that. You know, he had the mental aspect. And a lot of that were some were things that we worked on, but some of it was just innate. You know, he he had a great perspective on racing even at a young age. You know, he didn't get too hyped up for it. He didn't get under hyped. He just would find the right level to get at for each race. And he'd give his best in every race and leave that and move on. So I think he had everything that you would want. He checked all of those boxes. But I would say of his greatest strength, it's by far his mental game. Yeah, for sure. Someone mentioned to me, and I hadn't really thought of it in these terms before, that in your sport, in swimming, I mean, water is water, and it's kind of an equalizer. And I'm sure there's degrees, no pun intended, of different, you know, water temperature or or the way it's chlorinated or different things. But Mm -hmm. if you compare it to a sport like, let's say, ski racing, where depending on when you go down the mountain and how the sun's hitting the hill or, or the wind is blowing, it seems like swimming has very few variables this is true yeah you know the pool's exactly the same length the lanes are the same the water viscosity and all that is is pretty much the same fun fact michael is like a human thermometer he can jump in any pool and tell you exactly what the temperature is he told me what that means but he could definitely let you know when the water's too cold he said once that he'd he'd actually doesn't even like getting wet which i thought was a yeah. pretty ironic thing for for Michael Phelps to say. You know, given that that the pool's the same length and mm-hmm. and there are these, you know, very few variables. It seems like, you know, whenever I swim some laps to get some exercise at some point, I start breathing heavy, I feel that lactic acid and mm-hmm. you know, whether it's that or 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 things like that, either you kind of fight through it or you don't. Yeah. When you talk about you know Michael's mental strength or or other mm-hmm. dominant athletes you've worked with or observed. 
Is it pushing through that discomfort that's part of it? That is a big part of it. And the way that you learn to push past that discomfort in a race is to do it in practice, right? So that's the hard part of practice. Yeah, you're swimming a lot. There, you know, pretty high volume of training, but the intensity with which Michael trained was exceptionally high. And he, he was very good at, and I do think we trained it, right? So you kind of gradually build up to it, but he was very good at going through the pain barrier in practice, right? Where other people would quit, he would just keep going. And when you kind of condition yourself to do that over a period of years, and that's your mindset, right? You're conditioning your mind and your body. It's then when you get to the actual event, it's much more doable than if you just try to suck it up and do something in a race. Yeah. You know, a big a big theme of the weight of gold was the way that the Olympians struggle both when they get home and also post career. Peter Carlisle, who's also an executive producer of the film and, and Michael's longtime agent and part of your your inner circle once described the athletes as Ferraris on a, on a dirt road and not really knowing, you know, how to utilize these skills and, and talents and, and physical and mental abilities that they have. I know, let's talk about Michael's mental health journey because I'm curious okay. to hear it from your perspective. I mean, publicly, I believe it was the Tim Layden article in 2014 hmm. where, you know, for whatever reason, and I'm not even sure Michael knows, as he says it, he decided to you know, talk to Tim about, you know, what he had been going through. I mean, what, why do you think that, that the timing was right for Michael to open up about this at that point? Well, I think he had, quite frankly, I think he had come out of the excellent rehab program he was in and he was in a frame place where he could do that. I think it, you know, it took a lot of hard work on his part to get to a point where he could actually sit down and verbalize all that stuff. So I, I feel like that definitely was, you know, the biggest factor. Also where he was in his career and his life, I think that he, you know, had a better perspective on things. And that was why he could open up about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Probably all of us could. It was a kind of a team effort, that whole journey, right? It's a hard one. The journey, which journey are you referring to? Well, just his mental health journey, right? You know, it's not as if, you know, I didn't know something was wrong, <laughs> that that he was struggling. I, I could tell he was struggling. And I'm not a, you know, trained counselor. I don't, you know, really know how to have all of those conversations. And quite frankly, it goes back to what we talked about before. If I'm going to do the best job as his coach, there's probably a line where he has to have, there's a privacy aspect he has to have and I have to have, right? We just don't cross all the boundaries. So, you know, it was difficult to see him struggling. And then on this one hand, you know, have be charged with basically holding this swimming career together, which meant a lot to a lot of people, him, you know, everybody. So I, I feel like that, you know, after the 2008, between 2008 and 2014, that was a really tough time. For all of us. Yeah. And Michael's very honest that it's something that he continues to struggle with, that it's a day-to-day -day challenge and that COVID has made it only much harder. Yeah. What what routines have has he found and have you guys found together as a family, because you're part of the family, that, that do work? And what are the days as you observe where things get harder and what does he do or not do that might tie into that? 
I think the number one thing that he has done that has really made the biggest difference is he exercises every day. He still works out. And I mean, he works out hard. He just told me the other day on, you know, he measures it, I guess, on his watch or whatever. He burns four or 5,000 calories a day. I kill myself and it's like a thousand of move calorie. You know what I mean? It's like, so he's, that definitely helps. And I think anybody would, you know, <laughs> just in anybody would benefit from having regular exercise. But I do think that is something that grounds him and helps him manage stress. The other thing is, I think he's much better at recognizing what triggers might be. You know, something that might, you know, change his, you know, state. And he's good at either avoiding them or just taking a minute and taking a deep breath before he reacts to something. And that has really helped as well. That's what I observe is he's just much better equipped to deal with a challenge when it comes up. And I think a lot of that is just like swimming. It's practice, right? He's been working on it now for four or five years. Nicole is very good at helping him do that. And, you know, so I just try not to be a trigger. That's not meant to be too funny, but I can be at times. So, you know, we have a lot of history. So I, I just feel like giving him space when he needs it and him knowing that that's okay is is really important but by and large now he seems to be able to navigate the ups and downs at least from my perspective as somebody who you know i see him two hours a day i'm not over there all night or i, I don't know how it all goes but just from my perspective i think he is much more patient with himself which i think is important you know he it's like i think early on when he was a dad he he kind of applies our swimming thing to everything right like and it's the cooking right he cooks dinner so he'll be like, these potatoes did not turn out right. And I was like, you know what? We're all going to eat these potatoes and like it. I don't, if it could be 10% better, maybe next time, but I don't, wouldn't beat myself up because the potatoes weren't perfect. He has that standard. He's like, you know, I only want to do the best. I know I got it, but maybe tonight let's just relax and move on, learn for the next time. And I think he's getting better at that. And I think he was like that as a dad. I think he had ideas of what the perfect father would do. And that he always had to be doing something and it needed to be right. And, you know, I, I've kind of done some reading on parenting and stuff since then. And, and the, the general message is everybody struggles, right? Nobody gets it right all the time. And a lot of times you're just doing the best you can. And I, and I see him doing that much more now. And I think he's a lot happier as he goes through his life with those boys in that he's being a great father and he's not trying to just meet some standard that's impossible to meet. He's just, you know, he's just being a good dad. So those are my kind of daily observations. I hope that made some sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, one one common thread I found with, you know, getting to sit down with with Michael and Sean White and Bodie and Lolo and Apollo and so many of these legends of our time in the Olympic world was, you know, my theory is some of the same exact things that make them as successful as they are in their chosen sport are the same exact things that make life hard for them off the, off the court, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with that. I have always personally felt like a person's greatest strength is also their greatest weakness. You know, it's like the thing that you think makes you, you is also the thing that's probably keeping you from doing some other things that would, you know, help you grow or, or, or learn. Because you hold on to that really tightly, right? We want to be who we are, who we think we are. So I, I would completely agree with that. And I think these high-performing athletes, I think 
they have problems finding areas once they're done competing where they can really focus in like they do. You know what I mean? For like Michael, you know, as, as someone with ADHD, what I really learned through this process is that having ADHD doesn't mean that you're always just running around and energetic. You know, when he was 10, he was kind of like that. But you can get hyper-focused on something. You know, that's that's one of the characteristics of people with ADHD is if they focus on something, they really focus on it. And Michael could do that with swimming. And I've seen him do that with other things he'll get involved in. And I think once you leave athletics, there aren't that many things in your daily life where maybe you want to do that. So I think they look for areas to do it. Like, so I think Michael's one is his cooking, which is great. I love that he's improving his skills, but like, yo, he'll get serious about it. And also his working out. He's very serious about it when he works out, about logging everything, improving, trying to be better than he was before and just have some sort of progression. And I think that a lot of people, when they're finished with their competitive careers, struggle to sort of replace that. You know, and I don't know if that's endorphins. It's certainly chemical. It's probably psychological and physiological. Yeah. Yeah. And another place where he seems to have found a tremendous amount of positive feedback from both others and, and I hope himself is, is as a mental health advocate. What was the first time you remember hearing about our film, The Weight of Gold? And did you have any hesitation about, have you had any hesitation about Michael stepping into this role or how do you think it's affected? you guys and his family? No, I think it's been amazing for him to step into that role. And I think it's helped him. And I think it's helped thousands, maybe more people. Because in this day and age where everything's Instagram and sound bites and, you know, everything's kind of made for consumption, Michael is perceived as like this machine, right? And at the Olympics, I loved that perception. I loved the fact that people thought when he got behind the blocks, it was, he was going to just dominate, right? But somehow it wasn't even like human. It was like beyond. So that gave him a competitive advantage. But all of these athletes, no matter how great and what their achievements are, inside are just like all the rest of us. And they have their struggles. They have their joys. They have things they wish they could be better at. They have failures and kind of opening up about that, I think has given people a very meaningful look at what Olympic athletes in this field, but any professional athlete, what they're really like. They're just people. They happen to be really good at something and they, they've sacrificed a lot to be good at something. And they probably, it's cost them to be good at something, right? It hasn't all just been, the medals and money and being on TV. There's a lot that goes with that that most people don't understand. And I think that as he opens up about it, people can kind of get a better view of what these um, athletes are going through. Yeah, I, I believe that any athlete opening up about this and talking about other issues that are important, including mental health, you know, has as much opportunity to, to you know, add rocket fuel to the conversation whatever it may be, just because of the place they have in society. Yeah. And we're doing other things with other athletes around mental health now. But there's something about Michael that I think is, even among this other group of athletes who are talking about mental health, there's something different and more resonant about it. And I think it has something to do with, first of all, especially as men, I think we do this algebra in our head that a plus B plus C plus D equals happiness or contentment. 
Mm-hmm. And Michael has A, B, C, and D. He's yeah. got he's literally married to Miss California. Yeah. He's, got, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a gorgeous house and a gorgeous family. He's financially in great and he's won so many more gold medals. I mean, I, I quiz people sometimes because it's just fascinating. Yeah. I say, I say Michael's won 23 gold medals. What's the second most in all of Olympic history? And is it nine? It, I think it's nine by the I mean, yeah. Russian gymnast. Now, yeah. the difference between nine and 23 <laughs> yeah. is years. so significant, and, and nobody can believe it. Mm-hmm. And we could talk for another two hours about <laughs> that <laughs> difference. Yeah, I, I think that you know Michael has the life that a lot of people, and especially men, think is the ideal. And when you, when you add up those things and you say that you know, he still suffers from depression sometimes, and also that it's not it's not cured and it never will be, which he's willing to also be honest about. You know, yeah, he went to rehab and and you know he's doing the work he's doing with his therapist and and getting a lot of value from talk space. And do you do you feel the same way? Do you feel like even among these other elite athletes, there's something about Michael that is especially? I do. And you know, the other part about Michael is, you know. His story's not all, you know, rainbow and gold medals, right? There's he's been real. He's been through some things, you know, several times. And they've been very public, right? And you know, they and those it's kind of, you know, I think everybody knows that part of his journey as well as the high points, I think. So it makes him real. And I think because of that, he's very relatable. He can be relatable. You know what I mean? He's not just on Mount Olympus, he's like, you know, had some struggles and they've been quite public. And another thing that these stars get is everything pretty much that happens to them is going to be public. So, you know, I, it certainly contributes to mental health problems and I'm sure it has with Michael. Right. But so that's another layer of the whole equation. And, but I think that he's relatable because of that. And he's hand, and every time something's happened, he's accepted it. He's taken responsibility for it. He's learned from it and he's, you know, moved on from it, which I think is a good example for us too. You know, you know just a, a, a couple months back, the Tokyo Olympics took place mm-hmm. after the year delay or so. And, uh, you know, Simone Biles was the biggest story, not because of what she did do on the mat, but the fact that she didn't compete. And, you know, she used the term mental health to talk about it. What was it? And, and Michael was there. He was working for NBC. Yeah. And, you know, NBC u- utilized him as a resource to talk about the issue. Yeah. What was that experience like for you to watch that unfold in real time? And what were your impressions around, you know, kind of where this conversation's going? Not just with Simone, but also with Naomi Osaka. And it seems like yeah, more yeah. this term mental health is being used more openly. Yeah. Well, I think it's for everyone's betterment that is being used. And I think Simone was incredibly courageous to talk about it, right? And this wasn't something where, you know, at least my impression, just from my observations, this wasn't some, you know, performance anxiety she was having. Her actual health was at stake, right? There were ramifications of this that she could not perform her, didn't feel like it was safe to do that. So I respect her for doing that and for also, you know, sharing that with everyone. Because I think, you know, a lot of people out there have situations like that 
and they would not talk to anybody about it. It kind of worsens it. And I think that's why we have a lot of mental health crisis in this country. To see Michael step up and speak about it in such a you know clear way was, you know, I've never been prouder of him, right? You know, and I've been pretty proud of him. <laughs> but, you know, just to see him kind of take that role is amazing. And I think he helped a lot of people. Hopefully he helps them out. I don't know. Absolutely. And I know that a lot of people reach out to him. And I mean, even before kind of the mental health advocacy part, it seems to me, and you would know better than I, that whether it's Kobe Bryant or different athletes, he has built this network of top tier athletes. My theory is because he's been so dominant, 23 gold medals compared to nine, that these other athletes who are always looking for an edge want to know what's the secret sauce. Yeah. You think that's part of it? I do think it's part of it. I think I want to know what that X factor is. You know? And I'm sure people come to you to try to find out the same thing because you were, yeah. you were there for all of it and such a huge part of, of all that success. Is that hard for you to express to people? I think it's hard to express the level of focus and intensity that Michael brought to his preparation, mental and physical, for a long period of time. I mean, 20 year career in swimming, that is unheard of. Most great swimmers have four or five years where they're at the top and then that's it, they're done. And I, I, I think for Michael, it's like the consistent, we actually had a conversation about this not long ago. The thing that no one else has done is matches consistency, right? Consistency of effort, consistency of training, consistency of being able to mentally get up and get prepared, consistently of just standing up and delivering his top level of performance when it was needed. And, and so I think that is what separates him from most others. You know, you got Michael Jordan, you got a few people like that, but you know, Michael's kind of in very rare air up there for that. It sounds like what you're saying, Bob, and, and you hear the same thing when people talk about Jordan or or about Kobe or any of these people who achieve true greatness, whether it's in sport or business or wherever they put their focus, is there really isn't a secret. It's just yeah, showing yeah. up every day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just showing up every day. And, and what that means is you're showing up when you have a stomach ache and you do it. You know, when you just broke up with your girlfriend, you still show up and do it. You know, nothing sidetracks you. You are constantly on your journey and every day you're making that step forward. And, you know, the reason we decided to train every day of the year was that gave us 52 more days of training a year that most people weren't taking. It's like another, you know, almost two months, right? So it, you do that over four years, you're really having a significant amount of time on tasks that other people aren't having. And when you're already the best and you do that, then there's just sort of this exponential advantage you get from it. We mainly did it for the psychological advantage. It's, you know, nobody, everybody in swimming knew he did that and either they weren't willing to do it or they thought it was wrong, but it definitely gave him a psychological advantage because nobody was more prepared. Was there also, wasn't there also an element where let's say you took off a Sunday, which you you guys Mm -hmm. didn't, but for other people, if they trained on Saturday, but they took off Sunday, yeah. then they were going to regress to where they were on Saturday, on Monday. And <laughs> Well, we always had a two for one, and it's kind of a coaching thing, but 
it, it has some real truth to it. And we would say if you took off, you know, for every day you take off, it takes two to get back to where you were before you took off. So it's like a three day process. You give up three days for missing one. So that was why we just strove to be so consistent and try to have this continuous improvement. That's what we talked about. We would always just talk about continuous preparation, not have it interrupted. You know, we just wanted the, while the train was moving, we wanted to keep it moving. So, yeah. And I'll, I'll say this was up until 2004, right? When he went to, when we went to Michigan and it was the college program and he was lifting weights and there were some other factors that started, he was taking Sundays off after that. But this was in the six years prior to 2004. He was very consistent. Yeah. Well, as we talked about at the top here, you're currently the coach in the team at, at Arizona State, the Sun Devils. You know, what's it like there when, when Michael comes around? Is that, do, do the kids start swimming a little faster or what's, what's the status there? Well, you know, he hasn't been around now for a couple of years because of this COVID thing, right? You know, and, and he doesn't come around too often. He's pretty busy. But, you know, anytime Michael goes anywhere, you know, he raises the energy level of anybody around him, right? Like, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, he's walked on the pool deck. So, yeah, it, it's pretty special when he does come. He usually brings the grandkids. That's what I like. So I like it when they come to practice. What's it like for you to have your, you know, your legacy, which is so incredible on its own to be so interlinked with, with Michael? Is that something that took getting used to? I, I think so. I mean, in, in my book, it's Michael's legacy. I'm glad to just be linked into it a tiny bit, you know, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I just, it's just part of who I am. And it's like, I, d when he quit swimming, I wondered how I would be able to deal with just not seeing him every day, but I still see him every day. So we're good. I, I'm over at the house most days. <laughs> um, and it's very different and very good. And we all, you know, we rarely even talk about swimming, which is amazing because that's all we talked about for a long period of time. But it's, 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 you know, incredibly humbling to think what he's accomplished and that I could have helped him do that. Yeah. Well, it's been very humbling for me to play a, a very small part in being part of, you know, the mental ad advocacy work that, that he's doing. And, you know, so glad that we were able to s spend some time together today. Hope we can do it again soon. And hopefully if, if Michael makes potatoes tonight, they'll be to his satisfaction. Yes. Top quality. All right. Thanks, Brett. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir.